So uh, as, we, as we get started this morning, uh, I got to tell you guys, uh, I f- the sermon for me this morning, uh, it feels a little bit like when you take a cake out of the oven and you put a toothpick in it to test to see if it's done, and it comes out and there's still some batter on the toothpick, okay? So I just need you to know uh, that, is, that is where I am this morning, and I'm going to need your help. Uh, and, and part of the reason that that is where the, the toothpick is, where the sermon is, is that what we're talking about this morning is uh, where our hope is as followers of Jesus. And as I have spent time this week meditating on trying to imagine uh, what, what that hope of a new heavens and new earth is like, I just have a lot of pages of things to talk about. And it doesn't fit neatly into uh, a well-defined three-point sermon, like I, at least I aspire to on a weekly basis. So uh, I'm, I want you to know that going into it, and it's because uh, what we are talking about this morning, uh, it matters. And kind of to, to help kind of draw us in, I want to start by asking a question, which if you remember, we did for an entire sermon series. So I'm hoping you've still got those, those muscles of participating here this morning. I'm curious, we're, we're in this kind of season of transition, right, as we move from uh, from summer, not, not into fall exactly, but into the start of school. And I'm curious, what is it that you are looking forward to in your life right now? What are you looking forward to in your life right now? Fall weather. Fall weather. Oh, yes. <laughs> what else? routine. And isn't that so ironic? Because a few months ago, what we were all looking forward to was the vacations we were going to take that was going to get us out of our routines. And now we're like, oh, please, just give me the routine back. Yes. The what? The leaves. Belize. Yes. An upcoming trip to Belize. Girl, I wish I was looking forward to that. What else, what else do you got? What else are you looking forward to in your life right now? Starting school. Wow. <laughs> so we all have things, right, that we are looking forward to in our lives. That's a part of, that's a part of how we deal with the day-to-day reality of being human. What, what none of you called out right now uh, are the things that I would guess, if you're like me, you actually spend the majority of time thinking about when you think about the future, which is all the things that you're afraid of. Because those are things that we look forward to. Not with anticipation or joy necessarily, but when you throw your mind and your heart into the future, how often do you throw it toward those things that you're afraid may happen? What's true about us is that we're future-oriented people. I don't, I don't know that this is true, scientifically speaking, but I, I can say with a lot of confidence that, that we are the only creatures in this world that, that live that way, that live into the future. And how we think about the future has an outside ability to affect the way that we live our day-to-day life right now, doesn't it? That what you anticipate is coming, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, has a dramatic impact on how you experience the present moment. All summer, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. Right? So we started with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. 
right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, descended to hell, was raised again on the third day. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Right, the communion of the saints, the, the, the holy Catholic church, this one body that we're a part of. And, and the Apostles' Creed, as it builds bit by bit, it, it ends this week with this crescendo of hope. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. That the creed builds to this, to this looking forward. We've been talking about the Apostles' Creed. What it does for us is it sums up these are the non negotiables of the Christian faith. These are the load bearing walls. These are the anchors that, that teach us, kind of, that define for us the contours of our doctrine. And in that statement, what it ends with is hope. And what it reminds us is that we are primarily a people of hope. Not a vague, gauzy kind of hope of a specific hope and a hope that we are all oriented toward as a people together, that we are all hoping in the same direction. Right, there's this kind of Bermuda triangle of, watch, or of walking in the Christian life of faith, hope, and love that draws us in. And what we're gonna talk about this morning is our hope I want to paint a picture for you of that. What, what is it that we are hoping for? Where do we get the confidence to hope? And God willing, if we have the time, we'll talk about what does it look like for us to put that hope into practice in our day-to-day lives. So I'm going to invite Savannah to come up. Savannah is reading for us this morning. She's going to be reading uh, two passages, one from Philippians 3 and into v- chapter 4, and then also out of Revelation 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It will also be... Uh, up on the screen, and you can follow along up here. All right. Um, Philippians three twenty through 21. But our c- citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And this is Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, and ask that uh, as we study it this morning, or as I preach it this morning, that you would be growing our hope in you, or that you'd be strengthening our muscles of hope. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the creed, the scriptures that, that we read, that they jump right into uh, the kind of hope, the kind of ultimate hope that we need and desire as people. That the scriptures consistently testify to a hope for us that awaits beyond the grave. It's not scraps of hope, little breadcrumbs of hope. It jumps in to what is for us as humans probably the most unsettling question of our existence, which is what happens when I die? Humanity has been wrestling with this question for, for all of time. Every culture has ways of answering that question, of dealing with, with this unsettling question of what happens when I die. And it'd be interesting to think about for a minute what our culture believes about death. If anything, what we believe about death is it's something to hide, right? Something to avoid seeing or thinking about or talking about whenever possible. So there was a survey recently of, of, of millennials, and they asked this group of people, uh, what is the, what, at what age will you consider yourself old? What do you think we said? 30, 35? 98. 98. Okay, I will tell you guys, Evelyn is the closest to the mark right here. 85. Now, think about that for a minute. What, that's um, five years longer than the average life expectancy. <laughs> that we, many of us, don't expect to be old until after we are already dead. What that shows us is that we have an incredibly skewed perspective of life. That death is this thing that is going to happen uh, to all of us in this room. Unless Jesus returns before that. And yet, rather than embracing the scriptural wisdom that encourages us to count our, to number our days and live in light of that reality, what we are in is denial. passing over it, trying to get away from it. Uh, Ivana Trump, Donald Trump's first wife, died a few weeks ago, and there is this splashy headline in a New York tab tabloid, and it, it is just, it's got burned into my mind. It said she used to ma uh, manage the Plaza Hotel in New York. And it said, Ivana Trump, gone to the great plaza in the sky. What kind of hope is that, right? But that's, you see, that's kind of this, that's, that's our very inept way of wrestling with this idea of death when it finally comes crashing into our existence. And we have Christian versions of that when we imagine heaven as this kind of giant stadium Hillsong concert that never ends. That does not sound fun to me. No, and, and what, what Scripture gives us, guys, is, is a hope that is so much more firm than that, that's so much more concrete than that. And what, what you're going to have to do this morning with me is you're going to have to use your imagination, which may not be what you typically think of engaging when you're in church, but we do it all the time when we imagine what, what could the future be like if Jesus did for me what we're talking about this morning.
So using your imagination is actually a very critical part of engaging in a, in a worship service. And I'm asking you to engage in that with me this morning as we talk about what could the new heavens and the new earth, not what could they be like, but what will they be like. Revelation 21 and 22, here at the end of Scripture, uh, John, uh, one of Jesus' followers, he has this vision of heaven. And there's a, lot, there's a lot to that vision in the book of Revelation. But here at the last two chapters, it's a vision of what this new heavens and new earth, what, what our hope is going to look like, what it's going to be like. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's this city, this new Jerusalem that's coming down. And this new city is, is a picture of God's people who have been prepared for the new heavens and new earth. And it's also a picture of the place that we have been prepared to live in together. The place that has been prepared for us. It's both of those things. And kind of all throughout these next two chapters, we get these little glimpses of what that city is like. like one of the details that I have been just rolling around in my mind this week is uh, it talks about how so there's this, there's this huge city, and there are walls all around the city, and there are 12 gates to the city. So there are three, three gates on each side of the city. And the gates, uh, John says, are made of pearls. What? Just imagine that. You're walking through a gate. It's kind of like that giant sequoia that you could drive your car through, right? Except it's not a tree, it's a pearl. That's the gate to the city. When you think about what a pearl is, especially before people grew them, where you had to find them in the ocean, right? In a, in a mollusk or whatever. Uh, they, were, they were considered to be of great value because they were so rare, right? And to find one that was, that was large, you, you were, people were aware. It, it took a long time for that to happen. And when we're talking about a pearl that's as big, it is big enough for us all to walk through into this city, that's, a, that's something that would have taken centuries for it to, to grow, right? And what John is saying is that when we're, when we're ushered into the this, into this city, just the entrance itself is full of beauty and wonder that is beyond description. And, and the point of John's vision here is not uh, to get us stuck up on the details where we're going to start drawing maps of what the, you know, debating how much space is there in the city. That's not the point. The point is to give us a visual that captures our imagination and teaches us something about what it is that we're hoping for. That if we are this city that's coming down out of, out of heaven, that God has prepared us to be beautiful. That when we look at each other and we see who God has created us to be in our fullness, that it'll take our breath away in wonder. That'll be true about you. And it will be true about this place that we are living together with God. That it'll be beautiful. And that in, in seeing the beauty all around us, that it'll point us again back to the beauty of our Lord. Okay, so there's another detail that I've really been thinking about this week. Uh, it, in this city, there's a, there's a river, John says, that's going through the city. 
and on either side of the river, there's the tree of life. And this is where we're kind of now using like our theological imaginations, right? What John is doing is he's reaching back all the way to the first chapter of Genesis. So I love this, just the symmetry of this in scripture is amazing, that the closing chapters mirror these opening chapters. And in, in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, there's a tree of life, right, in the center of a garden, and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the, the temptation, it no longer exists. And instead, we have the tree of life on both sides of the river. So in the middle of this city that we're going to be in, there's an orchard, and this orchard is filled with trees of life. And John tells us that there are uh, 12 different kinds of fruit that grow on this tree, and each month, a new one of those fruits becomes ripe. Which, for people in John's day, right, that's, that is not their typical experience. You don't have access to, well, it's not our experience either, but they don't have access to fresh produce on a regular basis. It's not like when we go to Aldi, and I'm like, well, they don't have it here, obviously, but they'll have it at Publix, right? It's not like that. They're not used to that kind of variety in their lives. And what, what John is communicating to them with this picture, what God is communicating to us with this picture is an abundance and a variety, a fullness of life that is always there for the, for the taking, for the experiencing that does not have to be cultivated by us. There's a river that waters those trees. We get to walk through them and take of it whenever we want. Right? It's a picture of, of, of abundant life. Like when you, when you think about those moments in your life, when you feel uh, totally at ease, like the, oh, those moments, that that's the, that's the state that we will exist in. Satis a state of satisfaction, of, of contentment, where we're not worried about providing or being provided for. And, and in talking about trees and fruit, what you realize is, is John is using pictures and images of physical things. Things that have to be enjoyed by a physical body. And what it points to is, is what we talk about in the creed, which is uh, the resurrection of the body, which is a critical and central part of our hope. Right? This is not Elon Musk upload your brain to the cloud. Right? That's not what we're talking about, which, by the way, sounds terrible to me. What kind, of, what kind of existence would that be? Because what we know and what we continue to learn about, our, about ourselves as beings is that our experiences of joy and hope and love in the world are not these things that we simply imagine in our brains, but they're this very intricate uh, marriage between our, our minds and our bodies. That there's no way to define who we are as people without, without us being in a body. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if you remember uh, your SAT prep, right, with the, like with, with analogies, he, he said essentially a seed is to a tree what our current physical body is to our resurrection body. A seed is to a tree what our current physical body is to our resurrection body. What he's saying is there is this, uh, this organic connection between who we are now and who we will be then, like a seed in a tree. Right? They're connected. They're, they're, they are the same thing. And yet, they're different. 
they're qualitatively different. That that will be true for us and the bodies that we will inhabit in this new heavens and new earth as we are enjoying what God has prepared for us. That we will still be ourselves. You will still be yourself. You will be in a physical body and yet a body that has been released from all of the, of the burdens that it sits under now. It'll be free. The leaves of those trees that we will be eating from, the trees of life in the garden, in the middle of the city. It says that these trees are, the, the leaves of these trees are for the healing of the nations. That in heaven, there is going to be amazing diversity. All cultures, all tongues, all nations, all groups of people, scriptures say, will be represented in heaven. But what is true about all those cultures that they, is that they will be purged of all of the things uh, that have twisted them, right? All of those things that are not of God. That all of those things w- will have been sifted out. They'll be purified. And yet what we'll have is not one monolithic culture, one monolithic people, but a people who are still different from each other. That will have diversity without division, that all of the hatred that we have experienced because of our differences, all of the hatred that we have given out because of our differences, that all of that not will be passed over but will be healed. That's, that's the kind of new heavens and new earth that we're going to inhabit. There's this writer, uh, theologian, this black theologian named Esau Macaulay, and he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times at Easter, th- at Easter this last year. And this is what he says about uh, living in a new heavens and a new earth with a, re- with a resurrected body where there's been healing. He says, what is compelling to me is the clear teaching that our ethnicities are not wiped away at the resurrection. Jesus was raised with his brown, Middle Eastern, Jewish body. And then he says, when my body is raised, it will be a black body, one that is honored alongside bodies of every hue and color. The resurrection of black bodies will be the definitive rejection of all forms of racism. At the end of the Christian story, he says, I'm not saved from my blackness. It's rendered everlasting. Our bodies liberated and transfigured, but still black will be the eternal testimony of our worth. See, what Esau has done is he's taken this, this very clear teaching that we see in Scripture, this teaching about the resurrection of the body, of the life everlasting, of, of, of the healing of the nations, and he's taking it and wrestling it, using his imagination to bring it into his context. To say, for me, as an individual person, he's saying, this is how I have hope because of what Jesus has promised. This is how it connects very specifically to my experiences. And that's the work that we're talking about doing as a people, becoming a people of hope, is wrestling these very great promises into the day-to-day of our everyday lives. Like one of the things that we read in our passage is that every tear will will be wiped from their eyes that every one of your tears will be wiped away from your eyes. Every one of them. I imagine, um, have you ever ugly cried before in your life? I have. And there's this point at the end of the ugly cry where you kind of (gasps) go, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, you're done with the cry, right? Okay. That's when you got to picture Jesus wiping away your tears. That he's not... He's not shushing you. 
He's not patting you on the back saying, hey, forget about it. You're in heaven now. It doesn't matter. Know that he's there with you as you were crying because he's been with you the whole time. Because he has cried for things in your life that you have not even thought to cry for. That that's how close he is. And that what we'll experience in a new heavens and a new earth is, uh, is the physical representation of that closeness. Him in his resurrected body being with us and wiping those tears away. Him saying to us, you don't, you're not going to have to cry about that anymore. Not because it wasn't true or wasn't real, but because, uh, because there's been healing brought to that place in your life now. That's what we're looking forward to. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the looking forward to having our shame lifted off of us in judgment. Right? That as Jesus walks through with us, everything that we've ever done, and all of that is exposed to him, what it's going to be exposed to is his loving, his loving gaze. And that what we will see and be reminded of, what we will know fully is that there is nothing that has ever separated us from the love of God. And all of the energy and all of the effort and all of the worry that we have poured in to protecting ourselves, we'll be able to put down. To justifying ourselves, to explaining ourselves, there will be none of that that we have to do anymore. We'll be free from those things. That's the new heavens and the new earth. Death shall be no more. It'll be defeated. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's a new heavens and a new earth. And more, as more than all of those blessings, more than all of those gifts, more than all of those experiences, the the best thing that God promises is that his dwelling place will now be with man. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What John tells us about his picture of Revelation is there's no temple in this new Jerusalem, right? As a good God-fearing Jew, when John looks at the new Jerusalem, he's wondering, where is the temple? Because the temple is at the highest, highest point in Jerusalem. It was, it was the focal point of the city. And when John looks for it, he sees it's not there. Why is it not there? Because this one place in Jerusalem, this holy of holies that God's glory was supposed to dwell, has now broken out and is everywhere in the world. That the fullest experience of God's presence that you can ever have, that that is what we will experience all the time because God will be with us as his people. Like, have you ever had a moment in your life where you have felt overwhelmed by peace? And have experienced a certainty of the love of God for you? Maybe just, maybe just one or two times or a minute or two where you've been so aware of God's presence in your life. And the promise here is that that is the presence that we will dwell in always. That he's with us. there'll be no need for the sun and the moon in this city. It's not an astronomical d- direction, but it's about the fact that 
the presence of God, which brings light and life everywhere, will be with us always. That is our hope. So what does that mean for right now? Right, how do we wrestle that into our everyday? Philippians 3.20 tells us this. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now what Paul is saying is that you, your, the place that you belong is that new heavens and new earth kingdom. There's no dual citizenship in this situation, Right? You have to declare your allegiance. It's, it's, it's the kingdom of this world or it's the kingdom of heaven. And Paul says, you and I, as people who are in Christ, are citizens of that kingdom. And what's true about being a citizen is that even when you're abroad, right, even when you're in another country, you remain a citizen of your home country with all the rights and the privileges that come with being a citizen of that home country while you're abroad. That there, there are protections that go with you when you travel abroad because you're a citizen of this country. And so what we're being encouraged to do as we become people of hope is to exercise the muscles that remind us what it means to be a citizen of a different place while we are here. Because it's something that we have to learn, that we have to grow in, that we have to exercise. There's a, uh, lots of songs that use the phrase, everything's gonna be all right. We should play this game in youth group where we'd give the kids a phrase and then ask them to sing songs that had that phrase in it. So if we did that, I'm sure all of you could come up with plenty of songs that use that phrase, right? One of them is The Middle by Jimmy Eat World, which you guys know I love emo music, so that's the one that first came to mind for me. Uh, as I was looking for uh, the lyrics of, uh, oh, what is the other? It doesn't matter. Of a different song that had this lyric in it, what I came across was uh, a country song that's all about everything's gonna be all right. Makes sense. And the, the, the structure of the song is about someone sitting in a bar who's having a bad day. Lately, I've been feeling kind of low. The bartender looks over, back over her shoulder, pointed at the sign hanging up on the wall, and it said, everything's going to be all right. Don't hit that panic button. It ain't worth spilling your drink. Everything's going to be all right. And that's it. That's like, that's the hope of the song, right? And it's Nashville, so maybe you wrote the song and you're sitting here. It's very catchy. I hope it's done very well for you, okay? Uh, what I'm saying is, guys, that's weak sauce hope, right? In the pandemic, I'm driving around and I see a sign that says, everything's gonna be all right. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, but how do you know that, right? But, but when I, when I was, when I was, when I was watching the lyric video for this song, because I got really pulled in, uh, it turned out it wasn't a lyric video. It was just a picture of Kenny Chesney or whoever it was just standing there with the beach behind him and just the song playing. There were, there were 19 million views of that video, which was not a video, okay? What that tells you is how much we are desperate to practice hope in our everyday lives. And guys, the comment page on that YouTube video, it was long, excessively long, 
of people talking about how much that song had meant to them. And I'm not knocking that at all. I'm using that to show you that we are a people who are desperate to take that hope that we just talked about and drag it into, wrestle it into our everyday lives, right? And friends, that is not a work that anybody else in this room can do for you. That is you partnering with the Holy Spirit to ask him, where is this hope relevant for me right now? Like, think about that vacation that you were looking forward to, right? Maybe to Belize. <laughs> that, that we often construct these things in our minds and in our lives that are these finish lines that we're going to cross. And when we finally go to Belize, or what, fill in the blank, get the job, get the girl, get the whatever, when my kids finally go to bed, whatever it is, right? <laughs> when I get across that finish line, then it's going to be all right. What are those finish lines for you? And what if part of our training, the sit-ups that we're doing as we're becoming people of hope, right, is that we... When we, when we are putting those finish lines in front of ourselves as the places of our hope, what if we were to hold up uh, next to those things or maybe instead of those things, the hope that we have in a new heavens and a new earth? What if we asked ourselves, why is it that I am so desperate to get on this vacation that then I will be very desperate to get home from? Why is that? What is it that I'm looking for? And can that thing be found? Will that thing ultimately be found in the new heavens and new earth? If so, what if we started to train our hearts to run in that direction instead? That when you find your mind uh, having conversations with other people, the things that you need to say to them sometime in the future to finally make things okay, to make you okay or to make them okay or to make the relationship okay? What if rather than spending so much time and energy invested in these future imaginary conversations that you and I both know we're probably never going to have, what if what we recognized there was the longing that we have for our relationships to be restored? And let that, let that direct our hearts then to the one who has promised that, that he has a desire to do that too. That that's a day that is coming. That when we look at the shattered pieces of our lives and we think, is there anything beautiful here? Is there anything worthy or worthwhile? That we, would, that we would hope, that we would think forward to the day when we will be able to look at our lives and see, yes, there was something beautiful there the whole time. And that if that hope, that certain hope in the future, that that would then strengthen us for the work of now. That knowing that beauty is coming allows us to be participant in bringing that beauty to reality now. That the hope of, of restored relationships that will come in the future freed us to participate in the work of that restoration now. Esau Macaulay, that theologian that I talked about earlier, at the end of his article, uh, he describes this kind of hope 
that's not escapism, but that actually steals us, that steadies us, that helps us, as, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 1, to stand firm. Esau talks about that hope, and he says, I'm often asked what gives me hope to go on, given the evil I see in the world. He says, I find encouragement in a set of images more powerful than the photos, videos, and funerals chronicling black death. The vision of all those black bodies who trusted in God called back to life, free to laugh, dance, and sing, not in a disembodied spiritual state in some heavenly afterlife, but in this world remade by the power of God. He says, this is the hope that had black Christians throwing their bodies at wave after wave of anti-black racism so that their children, if only for a moment, might rest a while on the shore. For them, belief in God's power over death fueled their resistance. It may be a fool's hope, but I believe that their struggle was not in vain. I trust that all those bodies engulfed in the sea of hatred will one day play with their descendants on a beach singing the songs of Zion with no more waves to threaten them. Do you hear what Esau is saying? He's saying that his hope of a restored heavens and an earth, right? A new heavens and a new earth. His hope, his confidence that that is what God is bringing is what animates him in the face of evil today. That if our hope as Christians, is about our ability to imagine a trajectory where the world ends up as we want it to end up. If that is what our hope is based in, that is a very weak place to put our hope. And that's going to take you to apathy or disillusionment very quickly. But the hope that we have, it's, it's a different kind of hope. It's, have you ever been on Space Mountain? Okay. I had this moment as an adult when I rode Space Mountain, and I realized that Space Mountain was built inside of a building. At least this is the one in Anaheim. I don't know about the one in Orlando. It's built inside a building. But it's dark because there's this black covering of fabric and whatever that, that is over uh, the ride. And that the stars are not lights, but they're just punctures in the fabric. And it's the light that is all around that's coming in. That's what it means for the hope of heaven to be breaking into our world. That is the hope that is all around, that is truer than, that is larger than the darkness that we live in. And the promise of the kingdom of heaven breaking in, of the new heavens and a new earth coming, is not our ability to imagine or create or work to that place ourselves, but is the promise that even now the kingdom of heaven is punching its way in through the darkness. It's breaking in wherever we are. And that as we become people of hope, we get to participate in the kingdom of heaven punching its way in through the darkness. That's about all I got. I want to leave you with this. So my father-in-law loves to talk about relative expectations. That your happiness in your life is largely based on relative expectations. To me, the best example of this is being a Vanderbilt football fan. Okay? Sometimes when we play UT, people come up to me afterwards and they say, wow, we stomped you guys on Saturday. I'm like, obviously, right? (laughs) That is what I expect to happen to Vanderbilt football. Uh, When that happens, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me upset. This is normal. And for a UT fan who expects that to happen, it's also normal. It doesn't really make them very happy. It's just what happens. 
But when Vanderbilt beats UT, it's amazing because I never expected it, right? My expectations are so low that when, they, when they're exceeded, it's amazing. For the UT fan, it's devastating. <laughs> and that we as people, we have lived our lives conditioned to that kind of thinking, haven't we? That in an effort to protect our hearts, what we do is we make our hope so small. That the best way for us to avoid pain in this world is to not hope for anything too much. To not hope for anything too exciting. Because what we know as people is that so often they're gonna be, those hopes are going to be dashed. Friends, what we are promised is that it is impossible for us to out-hope heaven. Impossible for us to out-hope a new heavens and a new earth. All of the ways that we can imagine it and the things that we can imagine being magnificent about it will always fall short of what that reality will be like when we're actually inhabiting it together. That when we are there together, worshiping our risen Lord, together, walking with him, in the freedom of God's creation that even now is groaning to be released as we are in a creation that has been released. Worshiping the God that we were created to worship. There is, there is no way for us to out-imagine, out-hope how good that will be. But I dare you to try. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that uh, even this morning, as we continue to sing to worship you, Lord, that you would be exercising our muscles of hope, that you would be growing us into a people of hope, Lord, and that as we go out and about our weeks, that you would be strengthening those muscles in us, Lord, so that we can participate in the punching in of the kingdom of God into our everyday lives. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.